I'm a little obsessed with Lego, in particular Lego minifigures. Uh, the first thing I did when I got here, when, when I got my office, is I went in and I set up over 200 Lego minifigures that I've been collecting over the years. Here's just some of them. I love these little guys. They, they remind me of all the fun and various ways that the Lord is at work in creation through his people. But the thing is, no matter who you are and what you do, you got baggage. It doesn't matter if you're a paleontologist or a baseball player or a janitor or a farmer or Shakespeare. You've got baggage. And you bring that baggage home from work and you take your home baggage to work. It's, a, it's a kind of a vicious cycle. I don't know if you've noticed. I don't want to spend this morning guilting you about your baggage or even guilting you about how much time you spend at work. We all have different needs, different stories, different obligations, and it very well may be that you have to spend the amount of time you do at work for the good of your family. I get that. I've been there. I was speaking to a mom this week who spends a crazy amount of hours at night doing work so she can be here at the school and help. And I think that's beautiful. I don't know all of your stories. I just know we all have very different situations and stories. And this morning, I'm not going to focus on whether you should or shouldn't spend more time at work. Wouldn't be fair. What I am going to do so I'm going to focus today on your identity in Christ and how that should influence your relationships at work, your attitude at work and at home. Whether you're an employee or a boss, a regional manager or assistant to the regional manager, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, your identity in him should guide your work. We try to find our worth in work, when in reality our worth is found in Christ and that makes our work worthy. We are crushed at work when things don't go our way, when we don't get the promotion, when we don't get credit for a new idea, when someone stabs us in the back, when we put in the extra time and don't get a thank you. We're crushed. On the other side of things, when things are going great at work, when we do get the promotion, when we get a raise and praise for our work, we chase that high because it gives us worth. Or you might be someone who has recently retired and are struggling to find your identity post-work. Who are you? What worth do you bring to the world if you're not working? Or maybe you're unemployed or underemployed and you're feeling the same pressure. Or maybe you work at home. You're a mom or dad who takes care of the kids at home in the household and you know, you've reached the end of the day knee-deep in dirty laundry wondering, is this all I'm worth? And you see your friends off furthering their careers. As a former teacher, I see students all the time, and it gets me worked up, who take their identity from the grades they get in school. And what really gets me worked up are the teachers 
who see the worth of their students based on their academic performance. No matter your vocation, your identity as children of our Heavenly Father should guide you in how you treat those in authority over you and those you have authority over. The simple fact is that all vocations are holy vocations. All jobs, unless they're absolutely contrary to Scripture, like, say, a bank robber or a gang leader or something like that, <laughs> all jobs are holy vocations. There's not a single one that's holier than another one. The fully employed person is not holier than the underemployed person. The stay-at-home mom is not holier than the mom who works 40, 50, 60 hours a week, and vice versa. The boss is not holier than the employee. The pastor is not holier than the congregation. God is at work doing beautiful things in, through, and despite us in many various vocations and jobs. And that's a beautiful, beautiful thing. But what do we do? We pervert this. We find our worth in our work. And the other simple fact is that whenever human beings get together, it's messy. And let me tell you this, ministry is messy too. I'm going to tell you a story about that in a minute. When we get together at our jobs, there's conflict. There's miscommunication. There's hurt feelings. There's baggage. And sometimes it's completely overwhelming. I personally am the king of work baggage. I bring it all home and I take new baggage to work every day. I am a fool when it comes to work and baggage. I had a professor at the seminary tell me, never tell a story from the pulpit where you're the hero or the victim. And I asked, well, is it okay if I tell a story where I'm the fool, where I'm the one making the mistakes? And my professor said, absolutely, James, and I bet you've got a lot of those. You're going to be good for the next decade. <laughs> like Matt said last week, we all have baggage, and I'm the king of the people with baggage. I have hurt feelings when it comes to work. I'm not very good at it. About eight years ago, I'd been working my ways up through the summer camp career. I had started as a counselor when I was 15 and over the years worked my way up to where I was a program coordinator, running the show, doing all the fun games and stuff during the week, during the summer. But then I got called to the big leagues. I was hired to become an executive director of a summer camp in Texas. So I moved my pregnant wife down to Texas. We were up at a camp in New England. We moved all the way here. And I had blinders on going into that job because it was my dream job. I was going to get to be the big kahuna, the head honcho, make all the shots, call all the shots at the camp. I had blinders on to my baggage I was bringing and the baggage other people had at the ministry. And like I said, ministry is messy. I didn't see the fact that the founding family and the board of directors had been feuding for a decade over all kinds of different things. And apparently, I was the negotiated truce. Okay, they were pretty foolish too. 
And I didn't realize this. I was young and just, ex I don't know if I was that young. I was excited to be the executive director. And the thing is, by that time in my career, I fully found my identity, my worth, and how successful I was at work, how successful the ministry was, how many kids came to summer camp, how it grew every year. That is how I measured my success. And all of a sudden, I was in a very messy ministry where things were falling apart. And I started to make decisions based on my identity, saving my self-worth. And I started to see the people around me in light of their work. And I measured their worth based on how they could help my career. Because if the camp failed, that meant I was a failure. And if I was a failure, what, what did I have left? Things came to a head by the end of the summer. It just There were arguments about everything, and I didn't help. I was a fool in the middle of it. Thought I had an answer to everything, because if I didn't, there goes my identity. The board of directors and I decided this is the last summer of the camp. My first summer as executive director was the last summer of the camp. We wrapped things up. My wife and I, well, she did it. We gave birth to our first child <laughs> in the middle of all of this, in the middle of camp. And five weeks later, camp is over, and we finally get a chance to go to church. And when we come back from church, the gates to the camp are locked. And I'm sitting there trying to figure out what to do. I'm passing my five-week-old daughter over the car, uh, barbed wire fence to my wife and up come people, shotguns in hand, and run us off the property. Again, I'm not the victim, I'm the fool. Oh, the way I reacted, full of anger, bitterness. I fell apart because my identity was that job. The irony is, that summer, our theme verse came from Ephesians. I had spent plenty of time in Ephesians, but again, I'm a fool. Let's look at what Paul said again in Ephesians 6. Servants, obey your earthly masters with proper respect. Be as sincere as you are when you obey Christ. Obey like servants who belong to Christ, like slaves who belong to Christ. Serve eagerly as if you were serving your heavenly master. Some things to point out here. Paul uses the term slave, actually. We can translate it a lot of different ways, but the term he uses is slave. And in the Roman Empire, there were a lot of people who were owned by other people. It wasn't exactly like slavery in the South in America, but it was pretty close. And the fact remains, maybe upwards of 30% of the people that Paul is speaking to in his letter to the Ephesians were owned by someone else. That means someone else was telling them when and where to work and how to do it. And they didn't have the freedom to leave that job. They were there for life, stuck in less than ideal working conditions. Now, I don't think anyone in this world is technically owned by someone else, or in this room, I should say. But you may find yourself 
in a work situation or a home situation where you can't leave because of whatever obligations, whatever financial situation, whatever baggage there is. We might not be slaves in the same sense that the Roman Empire dealt with slavery, but there are many of us who are stuck. How does Paul say to respond in these situations? Well, he's talking about an extreme situation, but we can still learn from it. He doesn't say to check out at work and give your bare minimum. He doesn't say to rage quit. He doesn't say to get your revenge. He doesn't say to do any of the things that are glorified online on subreddits about work. He says to be sincere and serve your boss, your master, as if they were who? Your master in heaven. And those of you who have authority, what are you supposed to treat your servants like, those under you? Like they are actually owned by Christ. Because that's the truth here. That is our identity. We are owned by Christ. He has called you by name. He's marked you as his own. And this should guide our actions at work. We have an identity issue in our workplaces and at home. We see master and servant, boss, employee, teacher, student, parents, kids. When what we should be seeing are children of God. Maybe you're like me and you've had identity issues for a long time. I've had them for as long as I can remember. I've always been grasping at things that are going to make me feel like I'm worth more. Could be Legos, Star Wars, work. My earliest memory is one Sunday morning after worship service, I left the sanctuary and my dad handed me an envelope. Inside of that envelope were two quarters. And I was supposed to take that envelope, that offering, to my Sunday school class, and as we passed the plate in Sunday school, I was supposed to put that envelope in the plate. The problem was, inside of our classroom, because I think it was also a teacher break room, there was a shiny new Dr. Pepper machine. <laughs> And guess how much a Dr. Pepper cost in the 1980s? Two quarters. And I had seen my teacher the week before enjoying a bubbly cold Dr. Pepper, and I says to myself, I want that. And I open up my envelope as sneakily as possible. I was a very sneaky six-year-old. Pulled out the two quarters, put them in my pocket, resealed the envelope, and as the plate came around, I put my empty envelope in the plate and thought I got away with it because no one's watching. And as class wrapped up, I snuck over to the soda machine, and again, it was the 1980s, and a lot of my stories have this theme. Apparently, adults didn't supervise children back then. <laughs> snuck over to the Dr. Pepper machine, put in the two quarters, pressed the button, got my Dr. Pepper, snuck over to a corner, hid behind some chairs, popped it open, and had my first sip 
of Dr. Pepper. And I've never been the same since. <laughs> My blood sugar has never been the same since. It was beautiful. It was sweet. It was refreshing. I loved it. Gave me some worth. As I left the classroom and we headed out to our minivan, I was high on sugar and caffeine and oblivious to the fact my dad was staring me down, grabbed the Dr. Pepper out of my hands and said, where did you get that? Of course I told him the truth, right? No, I told him teacher gave it to us. He wasn't buying it. He sat me down on the step of our minivan, got on his knees, and gave me something more refreshing than any Dr. Pepper. Gave me living waters. He read me the riot act, sure. He told me that, oh, you have sinned in so many ways. You've broken this commandment, this commandment, this commandment. All in one morning. But he said, it's all been paid for. Christ paid for it. And you've been spared punishment. Not only that, you've been given all of his good works. It was beautiful. Beautiful, refreshing gospel. It's what I needed. 30 years later, it's been a week since we were run off the camp property and a judge has intervened and we have one day to get all of our things out of our house. It was a very long day of packing up. At the end of the day, it's getting pretty late, it's dark, and I decide to finally go to my office and liberate my Lego figures. And I'm stumbling, fumbling with my key, trying to get the door open to my office, and it just won't open. And in the dark, I drop my keys, and I realize they've changed locks. Again, not the victim, the fool. Remember that. Pick up my keys and I throw them down the hall in anger and they hit something. And I'm like, oh, that doesn't help. So I, tears in my eyes, stomp over to where the keys are, punch the thing closest to me, find my keys by the light of the thing I punched, and look up and realize it's a Dr. Pepper machine. <laughs> the irony was not lost on me. I bought a Dr. Pepper, it was not 50 cents. I sat down and cried, drinking that Dr. Pepper. Having a flashback to my father giving me the good news. And in that moment I realized something. If Christ would suffer on that cross for me, it means he's also doing it for the people at my work, those people I'm not getting along with. All of a sudden, I saw other members of the body of Christ around me who were also scared and grasping at straws trying to find worth. In that whole messy situation, none of us were giving each other the gospel. began to see other children of God around me. It was a rough time. I'm not going to kid. Hard decisions had to be made. 
But I started to see my utterly broken work situation in a new light. I saw people as children of God. And the gospel started to predominate. It started to change the conversations a little bit. It didn't change the path of the camp, but it changed the path of some people, including myself. As you savor the gospel, you will begin to see your boss, your subordinates, your coworkers, your students, your teachers in a new light. You'll begin to see who they really are and whose they really are, which changes everything. Out of that comes patience and love in impossible situations, comfort in different, uh, difficult conversations and decisions, and even the freedom to leave a job with love, joy, and no regrets. Resting in our identity that is rooted in Christ, we can then live out holy vocations without all the baggage. You are not defined by your baggage. Others are not defined by their baggage. Christ calls you his. That is your identity. He has freed you from the slavery to your baggage so you can serve him at work and at home. Simply put, you are not worthy because of the work you do. Your work is worthy because of Christ working through you. He's at work in you, through you, and despite you in beautiful, beautiful ways through the gospel. I can't see or drink a Dr. Pepper without thinking about my identity in Christ anymore. It's a beautiful thing. I really want to share that with you guys today. In the lobby, when you leave, there's ice-cold Dr. Pepper for you. Children, just like me, it's off limits. <laughs> Unless your parents say you can have one. That's, if we got enough, that's fine. As you drink it, as you savor it, as you contemplate its sweetness, I want you to connect that to the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, the good news that while you are not that good at the whole work thing, he is. And he is working in you and through you. Amen? Amen. Please join me in prayer. Lord, we find our worth in all the wrong things. We find our identity in success, money, politics, toys, cults of personality, education, entertainment, so many things other than our creator and savior. Remind us daily of whose we are and whose people we serve as we labor in the office, at home, at school, as we serve as if we are serving you. Help us see children of God when we interact with our coworkers and when we look in the mirror. You are worthy of our service and our hard work. Do your works of love and joy in us, through us, and despite us as we live out our holy vocations. In Christ's name we pray, amen. <laughs>